welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we hope that you will also listen live at richarddugan.com. There's a link there for you to click on, and boom, it takes you to the player, and you're listening to the program. But we also have podcasts. They are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations. Number one, too numerous to mention. And number two, that you folks are reposting our interviews too. Thanks for doing that. I really do appreciate that. We uh, also are on YouTube. You can watch these videos. Uh, We will also have our guest's name and of course their website up on the screen so that you can uh, go to their website and uh, find out more about the work that they are doing and how they are working to make this a better place. And I've always said this, I will always say this, that does not mean that this is a horrible place and we need to get the heck out of here. No. It just means, as the old saying goes, there's always room for improvement. So please uh, avail yourselves of our guest's website, which we will be linked to uh, on our podcast and our website. We also encourage you, if you're able to do so financially, to support us. If, we, if you like the work that we are doing and, and you want to be a part of it, uh, we would gratefully, gratefully appreciate any support you can send us. That's why we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And then we ask you to spend time during this decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Go within, spend time listening to that still small voice and also finding that calm, peaceful, quiet place where you can re-energize, rejuvenate and get guidance and direction for maybe the rest of your day or just answers to your own personal individual questions. I think it's wonderful when people want to say, you know, I, I, I get this impression that, and they're trying to tell you something about you. I view that more as th- all they're going to do is give you confirmation about what you already know, again, by spending that time going within. So take the time to do that. Our special edition of Tell Me Your Story today uh, takes us to a guest that we have had on before, uh, going back to 2019. Uh, but also, it turns out that uh, he and I go back A whole lot more years than that, going back apparently to the 1980s, if you can believe that, uh, which is 30, almost 40, well, probably almost 40 years ago, 40 years ago. I was in my (coughs) 20s, and I'm now 60, uh, and that's fine with me. I'm actually loving this period in my life, as I have pretty much the entire period of my life. And we're going to be talking with uh, Stephen Post. He has written a book that we want to share with you so that you can, again, you can uh, keep moving forward in your life and find uh, the, the, the help that, that you are looking for. God and love on Route 80, the hidden mystery of human connectedness. And, you know, most people know the author. Uh, you may have heard of him before, absolutely, as a contributor to the study of men- m- medical <laughs> humanities, pod- positive psychology. Uh, I'll be talking with him about uh, pronunciation of words and, and getting my tongue out in front of my eye teeth there. Research on altruism and love, clinical bio, bioethics. Now, there's a big subject. And the care of deeply uh, forge, uh, forgetful people. Uh, the care of deeply forget, uh, forgetful people. But uh, there is a spiritual side to him that has been... <clears throat> 
pardon me, animated uh, from the start, and we're going to talk about that as well, and I want to welcome you to our program again. Uh, Stephen, it's great to have you back talking about God and love on Route 80. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be with you. you got great energy, young man. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I've, I've told this many times. My great-grandmother on my mother's side lived to be 100, and I, uh, I used to say in the 90s when she was in her mid-90s that I was going to outlive her. And every year goes by at every family reunion, I'd say, and she's making it really hard. Not that I wanted her to go anytime soon, but now I've got another 40 years, a good another lifetime to go, and i got to keep this energy up. So thank you very much. Now, first of all, we had you on a program a couple of years ago. Well, actually... Yeah, it's now a couple of years ago, talking again about God and love and, and, and this whole aspect of, of uh, really uh, um, looking for that connectivity that has always been there, but we have sort of ignored. I, I, it hasn't disappeared. It's always been there, but our attentions have been diverted. Would you say that... Uh, one of the campaigns we've been pushing, again, it was 2020, the year of perfect vision, now it's the decade of perfect vision, is a good place not only to start, but to uh, rec- recognize our, shall we say, connectivity to one another. Yeah, very much so. And the visual metaphor is appropriate because we have to notice it. We have to be noticers. 2020 noticers, we have to see the kind of wonderful connections that this power of connectivity and love brings into our lives, moments when uh, things seem so uncanny and so improbable that we really feel that we are cherished by uh, a loving higher being in this universe. And it's a special moment. It's inspiring. It's uplifting. I think that one of the the sad things going into 2020, but also one of the uh, happy things, if you will, or uplifting things coming out of 2020, is that more people began to recognize this, that they needed to go within that in spite of this, and I loved the slogan that, that came out of uh, the year 2020, you know, we're in, you know, we're alone together. Mm-hmm. And there is some real truth to that. We come into this world as infants alone. We, you know, I mean, okay, there are a few that came in together with a twin or a triplet or quadruplets or quintuplets or what have you. But for the most part, we come out solo. Um, when we leave this world, we leave solo, okay? Um, but there, sometimes there are people around us in both instances who help us to make that transition either way. But it is still a solo journey, isn't it? And I know that that has a lot of people very fearful. And I'm wondering... From your perspective, not that we want to dive into death and dying and those kinds of things, but um, these kinds of transitions that we're talking about um, are really, I think, 
they they don't they don't they uh, uh, really show us uh, that in spite of these solo experiences at the front and back end of our our human mortal lives, uh, that um, there are people that are there to to connect with us as we enter and leave, and that that is a real important aspect of acknowledging that we are connected and that because of the impact that we have on one another, right? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people live under the myth that we are just separate entirely. We're individualistically going through our own endeavors and uh, we're not really interconnected or interdependent. But when you really think about those moments, when you mention you come into this world, you're solo, but you're completely dependent, right, Mm -hmm. for quite a long time. So we come into this world totally interdependent, and then, you know, maybe we can be fairly self-reliant, a la Emerson and Thoreau, uh, for many periods of our lives. But if we fall ill, if we have an accident, uh, we become dependent and sometimes totally dependent. And then certainly toward the end of life, you know, when you're when your ambulation begins to fade and it's a little harder to get up and down those stairs, um, you're looking toward dependence once again. So if we really look at it, honestly, we're a lot more interdependent and vulnerable Mm -hmm. than we are independent and just sailing through on our own steam. And so this period, if anything, has taught an awful lot of people that we're more interdependent than we know. Well, that is one of the uh, uh, terms that are, or, or uh, concepts that I have been elucidating on on this program. Uh, I, I, I use the analogy of the trillions of cells in our bodies. And I ask the question, under what, I use the term, under what form of government do the cells, the subatomic particles, etc., operate? And you can list all the ones that we are familiar with here in the material world. But the one that I always come up up with is the one that you just talked about. Because if it were a democratic form of government under which our subatomic particles functioned, our bodies would cease to exist because every cell would want to do its own thing. Um, I mean, and we've kind of seen that in the human world uh, in the last year that are a lot of people are are. I, I, rightly or wrongly, and I, I don't want to pass judgment here, are more concerned about their individual rights and freedoms and liberties than they are about what it says in the Declaration of Independence <clears throat> about uh, uh, promoting the general welfare and preserving the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our and, posterity. Yeah. And hence the idea of the res publica, the republic, in the in literally in Latin, the public good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that is definitely something where uh, my freedom and your freedom are intertwined, uh, where we are interdependent. Uh, the res publica tradition is uh, is not one of wild individualism. It's one of responsibility in freedom, and hopefully. Um, we can move forward in that direction. But you know, when I see some of the things that are happening, you know, no offense to South Beach, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
And and again, I am not passing judgment if if someone if that's where they're at and they have very strong beliefs in their individual rights and freedoms and so forth. You know, I, I'm not here to argue that. I'm just asking, how do you balance that between what I've said earlier or quoted from the Declaration and those particular positions that you take? Uh, if you have children. Uh, or you know of children in your neighborhood or what have you, you were a child once too, and we're supposed to protect them because they're going to be the, as the as the phrase goes, they are our future. They're our future leaders and so on and so forth. Well, then, you know, shouldn't we be taking the care and welfare of ourselves? The first rule of survival is take care of number one. Otherwise, you can't take care of two, three, four, and five. Uh, I grew up in a family of eight, six uh, six kids, my brother and uh, four sisters, and um, you know it's you know we we worked together uh, the majority of the time, just as brothers and sisters. Yeah, we had our squabbles, but we were still a family, and we did a lot of great family stuff. And the family was important. And my parents, that's what they wanted. They wanted the big family, and they got it, and they loved it. Uh, so that's that, that's the only reason I bring that up. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, and we are talking with Stephen Post, and he is the author of a wonderful book that you can get a copy of from his website. The book is called God and Love on Route, route Route. Is it Route or Route 80? I say Route 80, but it's okay if you say Route. Okay, well, StephenGPost.com uh, is the website, and that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-P-O-S-T. Uh, is it Stephen or Stefan? Stephen. It is Stephen. So I had it right the first time. Don't want to mess you that up. God right. and Love on uh, Route 80. We'll talk more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. Just a reminder of the fact that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we hope that you will go to uh, Stephen's website as well and uh, check out God and Love on Route 80. We are going to dive into this book, into the concepts, into the philosophy. But before we do that, I want to quote someone who is rather significant. I'm really, when I first saw this, I'm going, man, you are just name dropping all over the place. But this is a quote from uh, an individual who is involved in this book. An excessive focus on materialism and the negative of spiritual values such as love and compassion and generosity have, I believe, uh, prevented us from realizing our potential as a human society. And while technological and scientific advancements have contributed to a better quality of life for many. The lack of attention to our inner lives, hear that? Our inner lives is reflected in the persistent and pervasive emotional troubles and the growing socioeconomic and ideological divides at the root of so many of the problems affecting us today. Who said that and where? It was in the foreword of of Stephen's book, God and Love on Route 80, the Dalai Lama. First of all, how did you get the Dalai Lama to write the <laughs> foreword to your book? That is pretty impressive. Well, okay. So, you know, I have a lot of interest, as you mentioned earlier, in what I call the deeply forgetful people who are struggling with dementia. And uh, five years ago, I got an invite to India, to uh, Bangalore, where they have the National Institute for Advanced Studies in India. And I was giving a talk on consciousness and the deeply forgetful, making the claim that these individuals 
are part of our interconnected reality. We need to honor them. We need to show them that they have dignity and we shouldn't write them off because somehow they're, they're not any longer economically productive or whatever. And so I don't like the word dementia because it's so negative. It's a decline from a former mental state. I say deeply forgetful because actually it's more internal. You know, people could be mystically <clears throat> experiencing, we don't know exactly what's going on with them, but they could be in various kinds of states. So I was talking about this and I said, because someone loses some cognitive abilities, some linear rationality, there's no reason to think less of them in any way, shape or form than others. And so His Holiness the Dalai Lama who hangs around uh, the uh, Indian Institute for Advanced Studies and just sporadically drops in. He came into this conference and he listened and he put his hand down on the table and he said, yes, there's no reason why we should disrespect anybody because they are less rational or their memory is weaker than anyone else's. The reality is we are all conscious. We can all feel the breeze. We can all sense community. We can all have emotions. Uh, we can all be creative. And so we are one, even in forgetfulness. And so he liked the term deep forgetfulness better than dementia. And he wrote me this beautiful forward, which is just something I don't deserve, you know, but it's really lovely to have it. Mm. I'm curious, this may sound like a, an odd question to you, <clears throat> but to you, from your perspective, in your philosophy, in your outlook on life, uh, and an observation of people, who is the Dalai Lama? He's a profoundly uh, committed teacher of kindness. Now, obviously, you know, there are metaphysical assumptions that are sometimes associated with him, the reincarnation of the such and such and such and such. But I think he's essentially a, a man who has lived with integrity and kindness. Um, he's not perfect, but nobody's perfect. I, I believe in imperfection and no, you know, those who make no mistakes make nothing is my motto. But uh, uh, he's a good man and he, and he teaches a relational spirituality. It's not theistic, it's not about God in the Western sense, but it's about all these positive strengths that we can have, forgiveness, compassion, uh, gratitude, and so forth. Uh, the kinds of things that can bring us together positively as a, as a community. And he's done a pretty good job of that, you know, using meditational techniques uh, where you, you know, for typically you, you would, you would envision somebody in front of you, you might close your eyes, you might not. And, and then you would say, um, may you be peaceful um, may you be kind, may you be happy. You, your intentionality is focused on the well-being of, of others. And I think that's what he, he brings to the world. And you have obviously met him face-to-face. -face. This one time. And out of, uh, what was your initial inner reaction to him? My initial reaction is, uh, was and is uh, that he's very authentic. 
I, 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 I believe that he, uh, he is trying to make the world a better place. Uh, I think he's a humble man. Uh, I think he, he has a sense of a shared humanity. Uh, I, I, I have a positive uh, perspective on him. He has, you know, he, he also has, a, you know, a very uh, cosmic sort of Hindu Buddhist view of mind. And mm -hmm. so we're all part of one singular mind. Mind precedes matter that mind doesn't evolve or just derive from brain, from tissue, from cells, from material, that there's something non-material and non-physical, which is really at the beginning of the universe. So he's a mind before matter type, uh, type uh, spiritual thinker, and, and hence all his attention to meditation and the inner cultivation uh, is, is part of that. Uh, don't be knocked off kilter by the world around you and all the negative things that people do because the world's been burning since the world's been turning to quote <laughs> Billy Joel. It's a very uneven world, but you need to look internally. You need yeah. to have inner discipline. So I do that. I get up at five every morning before I come to this medical school for work and I pray and meditate for about an hour. Mm. And I actually envision a lot of the people I'm going to see over the course of the day, because I'm a, I run a program in a busy medical school, I see all kinds of people, uh, students and faculty and patients and you name it, and I never know where people are at. They could be in a very hostile, bitter, resentful places because the world isn't always nice. And so, you know, I have to ask myself, and I do this, um, when I run into this person, what do they really need? Well, maybe they need a word of gratitude. They need someone to thank them for all the care they've been providing to these COVID patients over the last 10 months. They just need someone to sit down and thank them from the bottom of their heart. Yeah. Maybe they need compassion because they've suffered in this period. Maybe they need forgiveness because they feel that somehow uh, they made a, a medical error and it, it didn't go well for a patient, it was on them. So they need to realize, you know, those who make no mistakes make nothing again, you know. And, and, and so people have, some people are trying to do lots of creative things, but they're not getting very far. So they need a little bit of attentive listening and so they can get their ideas out. But I'm always asking myself, kind of dress rehearsing the day, um, how do I want to approach people with, with what, uh, with what uh, strength, with what, with what asset? And of course, sometimes, even if I do a good prayer and meditation before I get come to work, which is usually about 6.30 in the morning, if the guy in front of me has the audacity <laughs> to slow down at a yellow light, I am perfectly capable of falling full-chested on the horn and uh, hopefully not yelling an expletive. But in other words, we all have pressures and stresses. But it's the inner being, it's the inner cultivation. You can do that, whatever your tradition is. That's really what's so important in making the world a better place. Stephen Post is my guest. This is a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, God and Love on, Ro God and Love on Route 80. And uh, we are uh, very excited to have him back with us again. It's been a couple of years since our last conversation. Uh, but he and I, apparently, we go back quite a ways, which is really kind of nice to, to I guess, uh, mutually see our own personal evolution uh, uh, into uh, our adulthood and our 
our later years. I, I, I've never liked the phrase senior citizen. I've always loved, and I coined this phrase back in the 80s, of seasoned citizens. We, and I now consider myself among that group of people who are well-seasoned by hopefully a lot of sugar along the way, and I don't mean that in a literal sense, a metaphorical sense, Uh, very little salt, although that's a wonderful preservative for those areas of our lives that we want to hold on to, Uh, those uh, values and mores and so forth, and even the philosophies by the same token. It's just fascinating to uh, have you back on the program I want to ask you a little bit more about your philosophy in regards to the the changes that you've been through. And let's let's even go back to the 1980s. Uh, how how would you, if you can look back and 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 uh, sort of map out? Because uh, again, the hindsight, as they say, is always 2020. Have you? Would you say that that your you have had a uh, if you were to if you were to meet you in the nineteen eighties, how different would you be from the man you are today? Uh, would that man of the nineteen eighties be accepting of and respectful and understanding of where you are today, uh, or possibly? No, 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 you're wrong. You've got to believe this way. This is the only philosophy there is, et cetera, et cetera. I have really searched in life. Life has been a spiritual journey first and foremost for me, even in those early days in Santa Barbara, that one beautiful summer. Uh, I've always been, if you will, on Route 80. It's a journey book. Uh, Mm-hmm. It's about a dream that I had as an adolescent, uh, and it drove me out west, and and all the things that unfolded in my life. I would never say, Richard, that I, Stephen Post, made my life. That's completely arrogant, because there's so much we don't control. I've encountered a lot of people on the journey. Most of them have just been brought into my pathway unexpectedly and the the art of life uh for me and there i have been successful has been responding well to all the surprises that have come my way so i'm not like a good medical student who sort of plots out their life from age 14 you know and and i i teach it's been teaching in medical schools for 30 years but but they're a little different breed than me um you know, I've been I've been more on a path, and um, and and I feel good about it. I don't feel like I've overly controlled my life. I don't even believe in having um, firm goals. Uh, I would say to that kid in 1980, um, destiny is more important than goals. That we all have a calling. We all have a destiny. That everybody has with within them something that they're meant to do and it has a lot to do with spirituality has a lot to do with their talents and what's given to them but we don't so much make our lives or pursue our narrow goals which are always narrow because we're just narrow human beings but we have destinies and we we should follow our destiny we should try to find that destiny we should experiment with it 
uh, we should dream with it. So that's how I went from like, you know, immunology at the University of Pennsylvania to um, world religions at the University of Chicago. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, no, go where I, 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 I just find it interesting as I as I moved through what, what back then for me was a rather interesting educational period. Um, it was uh, with a Christian radio station for 15 years. I say it's the best education I was ever paid for. Uh, <clears throat> and what really lifted my spirits, if you will, and, and, and helped me was when I met people of that philosophy, and that's kind of the word I use now rather than religion, <clears throat> because they are philosophies, um, and I met people who, in spite of or because of the doctrine and the dogma within that philosophy, they had other ideas. They had different ideas. And it gave me hope for the future, because what it was telling me was, oh, these people aren't, they're not, uh, they're not um, uh, trapped by the, the, the trappings of that philosophy. They're willing to think outside uh, the box or outside the nine dots. And that, that just encouraged me. And I just really, really, I thought, wow, okay, our civilization just might make it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So, so I, I consider myself... Uh, I'm a student of world religions and spiritualities, but I consider myself to be, in the most basic sense, Christian. Call it philosophical or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what that really boils down to, and I make this point in God and Love on Route 80, is that, um, <clears throat> you know, even when I was in Santa Barbara as a kid, and, you know, there were all kinds of different religious groups down there on Main Street, especially when you got on the other side of the tracks, there were restaurants of all kinds. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I always maintained uh, my sense in the um, of the reality of the atonement. But somehow or another, in a way that I don't understand and I can't put words to it, that um, Jesus Christ was asked to give his life to cover all the incredible uh, sins of human beings, which are just over the top, it seems. And, and uh, we couldn't atone for ourselves. And so it makes sense to me that, uh, that, that that would be the case. So I believe to this day in the, in the atonement. And I, um, I keep my Bibles around. Mm -hmm. uh, I go to a, a little Presbyterian church in Port Jefferson, uh, Long Island, uh, on the waterfront. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I'm a, I'm not um, pushing doctrine because um, I, I just don't I don't need to. I, I I'm 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 secure. I'm peaceful in my in my basic uh, Christianity, uh, and that gets me. That gets me pretty far. Well, and I'd also tell you, too, that uh, it wouldn't really uh, help your cause uh, of, uh, of entertaining this whole connectedness uh, by doing that, because that actually uh, fosters the separation. 
uh, between us. And uh, and the only way that you're going to be connected is if you follow it the way that I tell you to follow it. And uh, that uh, unfortunately, that causes division. And uh, we've got enough of that in this world today. Uh, so I applaud you for that. We're talking with Stephen Post here on Tell Me Your Story, a special edition. And we hope you will stay. We hope you will stay with us as we continue talking. I want to talk about our value as human beings and even as eternal beings in light of what you just said. And I uh, want to remind our listeners, this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. I want to ask you, in light of the atonement, in light of the, the philosophy that teaches the sacrifice that was made, when I was working for the Christian radio station, I used to hear lines like, we are nothing more than lowly worms. We're just sinners. And I mean, we're just, we are, we are lower than the, the dirt on the belly of a snake crawling across the ground. And I remember thinking about that and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense because there was this sacrifice that was made on our behalf. You know, and and so I thought about that even more, you know, and of course the sacrifice was made. We accept the sacrifice and now we are, you know, we are shining lights in 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 God's eye. And I thought, well, but it doesn't make any sense that the sacrifice would have even been made if we were nothing more than lowly worms, if we were less than dirt. And so I thought and so I've come to the conclusion and I'd love your input on this, Stephen. We were precious and priceless before the sacrifice. And the atonement, if you will, and again, and this is in this philosophy, we're, we're even more priceless and precious than before, but we were still precious and priceless then, pre and post. Yeah, so, so I'm, a, I'm a realist about, <clears throat> about human nature. Uh, I'm, I, I believe in the spirituality of imperfection. I've mm -hmm. made so many mistakes myself. Uh, but I don't believe in humiliation. I believe in humility. Um, humiliation is, is, is to say that, you know, I'm just a worm on the floor. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. There is a great dignity in being human, simply qua human. Um, but humility is important. So what does humility mean? It's, it's not humiliation. Humility is, the, is, is to say there's a nice statement that's attributed to C.S. Lewis, and it says, um, humility means not to think less of myself, but to think of myself less. Ah, okay. that's a fine distinction, so, too. Yeah, so we shouldn't be we shouldn't be trying to fill the room with our own hot air. We shouldn't be trying to inflate the world around us because then you know what we can't love anybody. Yeah, right. It's just about me, myself, and I, and it, and and so we're pumping ourselves, and we and the stress, the strain is that we have to live up to that inflated image, which is not a true image. Yeah, it's a lie anyway. But we have to figure out ways to try to live up to it which takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and wastes our talents. And so humility is what God expects 
of us, not humiliation. Yeah. And 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 uh, and 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 so I think that's a really important distinction. And 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 many young people, you know, the the idea of humiliation is very un, unimpressive for them, and it should be. But if you can start to talk with them about about humility and and putting themselves in a in the right size vis-a-vis others in the community, mm. you know, that interconnectedness, yeah. that they're part of something larger. That's where we need to go. So, so I, I believe that Christianity teaches humility, not humiliation. Uh, we, I don't think God wants us to be groveling on the dirt. Uh, and I think we still, though, need a whole heck of a lot of atonement. One of the things that I find interesting, uh, Stephen, is <clears throat> that um, in, a, in, a, in a words to search or study that I did— when I was kind of contemplating this whole aspect, it says in the New Testament, in one of the Gospels, it says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I thought, oh, what the heck does that mean? Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven. And he created us. God created us. I mean, as far as I know, I didn't create myself. And um, so I, I, I just began pondering that. And based upon what I knew uh, of what I'd read in the Bible, both old and new, I came to the conclusion that the definition of that word perfection has nothing to do with duality, nothing to do with right or wrong, sin or saint, good or bad. Because when you think about God, God is none of those things. God is not duality. Uh, and so it, it finally hit me. And this kind of goes to what you're talking about. And again, this is done in a very humble way. This is not done in a, uh, uh, you know, an egotistical way. Being perfect, as it says, I want to say in Psalms, to just be. I am that I am. So to be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect, as God is perfect, is just to be. Be who you are. End of story. No self-inflated personal ego. No, uh, uh, you know, that's just all, all, that, all that you have to do. And that, for me, that freed me up in a really big way. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to think anything. Matter of fact, if I could stop thinking for just a moment, you know, that would be so helpful. Your thoughts on that? You know, the Buddhists talk about the monkey chatter in the mind. Ah, and, yes. and meditation. <laughs> and sort of let that let that float out to sea, you know. Um, but say so perfection. Um, um, to me, um, perfection really is very straightforward. It's in accepting the atonement. Just it's an acceptance. It's not a doing. It's mm-hmm. an acceptance. And um, people um, don't have to rattle off long CVs to be perfect. If you if you if you think you're perfect for a minute, in some less subtle sense, then guaranteed your relationships are not going to last because you become inherent. You become automatically judgmental. I've been married 38 years, okay, and I consider it a tribute to my spirituality of imperfection. It's not that I take mores lightly, you know, I, I don't at all. I, I try to live a, a responsible life. I, I try to live a life of service, but I, I recognize my imperfection. 
I feel when I gaze internally, when I'm having a mindful moment, I feel these sometimes hostile emotions. I know that I have these resentments within me. I am not a perfect being, but um, simply um, by doing the best I can and by recognizing a relationship with, with God and with Christ, uh, I, I'm as perfect as I need to be. Yeah. I, I just am, um, I mean, like I said, it, it, it has, has uh, uh, that sort of revelation in that regard really made a big difference to me. Uh, and, and I share that with people only because it's like, cause everybody wants to tell you how to be, how to do, how to, you know, uh, who you're supposed to be. And, and, and I know that parents mean well and all of that. But especially when you're in high school uh, and you're now thinking about going to college and, and, and getting an education and getting a job, you know, well, Dad, Mom, I want to be a musician or I want to be an artist and uh, those kinds of things. And it's like, well, okay, but there's no money in that. I mean, that's always been the thing. I mean, I'm in a business that unless you are at the top, cream of the crop and at the top, you know, you're not making a lot of money. And then I hear the other side of that same same concept, and that is, if you do what you love, the money will come. Well, I've been doing what I love for over 40 years, and the money has come and gone and come and gone and come and gone, and it's an ebb and a flow. It's uh, That's just the way. Uh, actually, I like to refer to it not so much as an ebb and flow, but a flow, that it flows in and, and just and flows out. I mean, I am grateful, as I was sharing, as one of my guests was sharing with me just recently, uh, this this woman was saying that she actually is grateful when she writes, uh, if she's writing a check or paying online or what have you, her electric bill or her mortgage or whatever it is, because she's able to do it, because she can, and uh, you're not, not feeling as though it's a drudgery in that regard. So it, it comes in. And, and it goes out again, and then it comes back in, and it's just like the tides of the ocean here on the coast of California. The tides come in, the tides go out, you know, the surf rolls in, and then it rolls back out again, and, you know, makes a great sound, and you love to sit there and meditate on it. Um, and I think that's one of the aspects that I think we forget is that there is constant change, which I want to talk about a little bit more in this respect to God and love on Route 80. I want to remind our listeners we're talking with uh, with Stephen Post. He's also written Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Longer, Healthier, Happier Life by the Simple Act of Giving. Boy, that's a big one we want to talk about. He's also written The Hidden Gifts of Helping. We hope that you will go to his website. And then also the moral challenge of Alzheimer's disease, and we'll talk about that. He's actually addressed that a little bit here on the program thus far, and we encourage you to stay with us as we continue talking about God and love on Route 80 with Stephen G. Post at stephengpost.com. We hope that you will go to his website to find out more. Stephen, I would like to go into this area if we can in regards to change it's one of the elements in our universe that we are actually programmed and really it's pushed upon us almost to fear it to hate it to not want it I mean, you hear it in the economic news almost every day. No matter what the numbers are, the economists are never happy. The numbers could be sky high, 
zero unemployment, stock market at 400,000, and they still wouldn't be happy because they would be looking to the future. And then, of course, if the numbers were low and unemployment was 90%, obviously, oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. But, again, it ebbs and flows. It changes. And when you look out in the cosmos, when we watch things happen out there, we go ooh and awe. Wow, we're in awe, right? We, it's amazing. There's no judgment on the, by the universe on its movement, on its change. It's just doing what it's doing. It's, it's, if, if, if we may use my definition, it's per, it's per, the cosmos is perfect. It's just being what the cosmos is, right? So let's talk about this aspect of change when it comes to, uh, especially in the context of God, as well as love. Because even love changes. It can still be unconditional, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's stagnant, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, so it's, as far as love goes, uh, you know, the way I think about love, and I picked this up from a University of Chicago psychiatrist named Harry Emerson Fosdick, um, um, Harry Stack Sullivan, uh, when the happiness and the security of another is as real and meaningful to me as my own, so my own is in there. My happiness, my love of self, care of self is in that equation. When the security and happiness of another is as real or meaningful to me as my own, I love that person. Now, you can think about that when you're looking over the crib of a child. You can think about that when you're having a cup of tea with an old friend at Starbucks. You can think about that when you're in the hospice. You can think about that in any human condition. Uh, the happiness and security of another is as real or meaningful to me as my own. And in some cases, yes, more so. That's what love is. That does not relying on ancient languages, on a lot of complexity. It's just sort of commonsensical. And it has to do with, again, that interconnectedness that we're part of something larger than ourselves. So, um, that's what love is. It doesn't change, but its expressions change. So sometimes love is expressed. I think people don't use the word love in this sense. They think about love of chocolate, love of designer jeans. But, you know, love is expressed in various ways. So sometimes it's forgiveness is an expression of love. Sometimes kindness is a forgiveness of love, uh, is an expression of love. I mean, Living through this pandemic in a medical center like this, I've made a point of just, you know, being a little bit mirthful with all the people in the hallway, you know, (laughs) silly things. Uh, You know, what did the what did the envelope say to the stamp? Stick with me. We'll go places. Just (laughs) laughing or what did the fish? What did the fish say when it swam into the wall? I was saying that yesterday said, damn, I'm sorry. (laughs) But, But, you know, just tasteful uplifting humor mirth is very important and you know christianity believes in mirth uh you know uh the, the fool for christ well, and now, then you know, let me and, let me stop compassion yeah. and all these things so there's a lot yeah. of different expressions yeah that change all the time but love is love yeah let me ask you a quick question on that i don't read anywhere in the new testament where jesus ever laughed i've I, i've heard where he got angry 
he was he he was a teacher and a stern and 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 all those different types of things. But uh, I don't know that we ever even uh, read where he cried. But you know, and I couldn't agree with you more as far as Christianity's uh, wanting to have joy in our lives as well as happiness. I mean, even the Declaration of Independence says uh, that we have these inalienable rights, and among them, among them, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We don't get it. We can pursue it. And hopefully it's not a carrot on a string hanging off of a stick that we'll never reach. I'd like to think that every so often we reach happiness. But what about, uh, what about that aspect? Because scientifically they say laughter. I mean, if, pardon me, Reader's Digest. And if you don't know what the Reader's Digest is, you better look it up on Google. <laughs> laughter is the best medicine. Uh, the scientists have shown how impactful it can be on a, on a physiological and biological level. In lots of ways. Well, I, you know, St. Paul said God loves a cheerful giver. Sure. And my assumption about Jesus is that he was a cheerful giver. Um, he sometimes was criticized because he would be having an evening party <laughs> with people. So I think that, that um, you won't see one-liners, um, <laughs> you know, uh, which, which – you know, what did the Zen Buddhist say to the hot dog vendor? Make me one with everything. <laughs> you know, I, uh, but but I, I think it's, it's safe to say that there was a mirthful quality in Jesus. And even when he was teaching, you know, if he was just oppressive and uh, overwhelmingly heavy, uh, he wouldn't have been successful. So there has to be a side to Jesus which is mirthful. And when he talks about all the parables and, and, and draws on common family experience. I think he's, 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 in, he's embracing um, the mirthful. And I, I think he understood, he understood that. Um, um, it's, it's kind of implied. It's kind of implied. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I'll accept that. <laughs> that would be what I would say. Okay. And of course, you know, there's a cultural thing too. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, and people come from different parts of the world and they have different interpretations of, of the value of mirth and laughter and jokes, you know. Uh, but uh, but I love I love tasteful, uplifting mirth, nothing derisive. Uh, I had a medical student who's, who told me the other day that he was on in the clinic and the team made a derisive joke about an obese woman within earshot. And he asked himself, should I laugh? And he refused to laugh. Then he asked himself, should I even smile? He wouldn't smile. The nurse came up to him and said, you know, I noticed how you handled yourself. It was great. You kept apart, even though you wanted to perhaps ingratiate yourself, you know, to the team. Mm -hmm. Why don't you approach them diplomatically now in late in the afternoon and tell them how you experienced that, how that affected your sense mm. of professional integrity and identity. No. And they did that, and they learned from him, and they accepted what he said, and they promised they would never let it happen again. So he he affirmed his own integrity in that process. So there is this negative humor, which there's too much of. I'm not in favor of a lot of adverse, derisive, yeah. uh, you know, sort of Freudian humor that brings up the worst possible images. But but cute, nice. By the way, where did the where's the fish go keep his money? <laughs> In the riverbank. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm notorious for these things wherever I go. I, I've, 
I've, I've heard it said, too, that these also could be considered dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, they're sort of dad jokes, you know. And people say, oh, I'm going to tell my little brother that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I kind of like that. I, uh, I have to say that uh, one of the things that I, I find so uh, uplifting myself is the kind of humor that is intertwined uh, within a story uh, that usually you have to wait, and it's sometimes it's a, a it's might be a short story, but still you have to wait until almost the very end for sort of the punchline or punch paragraph, if you will, uh, that brings it all together and um, and it works out really well. I, I remember one that I was I was told, and I can't even remember where I heard it, and it was really funny the 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 series of events surrounding this particular story or joke. Uh, that was quite simple, and it, I, I, you can elongate it in any way you want, but the, the gist of it is that a, an individual went into the military, and he was in boot camp, and they were training them how to fight. And uh, everyone was handled a, a, a rifle except him. He was handled a broom. And, um, and he says, what am I supposed to do? What, clean up after the war, after the battle? And so, no, no, no. What you do is you, you, uh, uh, you point the handle at the, your enemy and you go bangity bang bang. And of course, he's thinking, you are nuts. I will be dead before I get off the first bang because I will just I'll be killed. And I said, all right, all right. And um, so they're, they're going through this whole thing. And he says, no, give it a shot. And so he fires bangity bang bang and over goes the dummy. You know, and he does it again, and he does it, again. and now he's going nuts because it's working. And um, <clears throat> so he says, "Well, yeah, but what happens if the the enemy gets too close?" And of course, they're standing closer to the dummy. He says, "Take a piece of the straw, wrap it around the end of the handle, and go stabby stab stab, kind of like the 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 whatever they called it, the bayonet." Uh, and he says, "Oh well, I bangy bang bang worked. So what the heck?" So he does this, and it goes into the dummy, and and. Um, so they're out in battle, and he's doing this whole thing, and he's going crazy. He's knocking off the enemy left and right, and then they start getting too close. So he stabbed, he stabbed, stabbed. It's working really well. And all of a sudden, there's this one that's coming at him, and he does bang, 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 nothing. Stabbed, he stabbed, stabbed, nothing, and rolls right over him. And as he gets up and turns around to look at the, the enemy soldier going past him across the, the front lines there, he hears the guy saying, tankity, tank, tank, tankity, tank, tank. <laughs> now, you know. Aside from the military thing and war, I thought that yeah. was pretty funny. Well, the, the long and the short of that story is that about three or four days later, I heard that joke being told on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Now, oh. I don't take credit for it, mind you. I just thought it was a very interesting set of circumstances <laughs> that, yes. that all of—wait uh, a minute— I didn't make that joke up, but how did it get all the way to California or I don't know if they were in New York or whatever to the Tonight Show? I thought, wow, you talk about connectivity or, or connectedness. Yeah, that that was uh, that was rather amazing to me. Hey, you know, you talk about about laughter and health. So uh, you're on the West Coast mm -hmm. at uh, USC. They have the Norman Cousins Center. Uh, which is all about laughter and health because he wrote a book uh, mm -hmm. called the anatomy of an illness many, many years ago. It was a bestseller about his own uh, autoimmune disease. And everybody said he was a goner. He didn't have much longer to live. And he started watching, believe it or not, the three stooges, the little rascals and yeah. all these things sort of 24 seven. 
and he was laughing, deep belly laughing all the time, and he started to get better. And since then, a lot of people have done biological studies of laughter, and laughter does release endorphins, uh, it reduces stress, it releases a lot of positive uh, uh, biology, uh, it, it, it's, it, 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 it turns off those parts of the brain that are associated with destructive emotions like hostility and bitterness and anger, all of which create uh, protracted stress over time, which is very bad. So the whole field of psychoneuroimmunology, which, which in a lot of ways nor, uh, Cousins initiated, uh, it actually began with laughter. And laughter, the other thing that they say, other than the biological, is that it, it, you know, it, it reframes your, your perspective on things. When someone just breaks into the heaviness of the moment with the right one-liner, with the right humor, <laughs> again, tastefully and appropriately, yeah. um, it can completely turn things around. Yeah. I've also heard it said from a biological standpoint that, uh, uh, and I found this really strange uh, at first when I heard it because I even tried it and I thought, okay, I, I don't know if that's true or not. It takes fewer muscles to smile than it does to frown, ah. you know. Uh, and and I often see men and women walking the streets of State Street, uh, older folks, some of them with canes, and they're hunched over with a big old hump on their back. And one of the first thoughts that comes to my mind is, I wonder what burden they've been carrying all their lives. That if they could find a way to let it go, which leads me into uh, another subject I want to talk about before we wrap up here. If they could let it go, that hump would probably pretty much go away and they'd straighten up and walk upright. And it brings me to the discussion of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Now... I went through a period, uh, uh, four phases. The final phase was uh, to, to a protagonist in my life, could be a situation, could be a person, uh, where I'd get to that fourth phase, and that fourth phase was, I love you. But it was the second phase that I found so, so important that we all need to, to work with, and that was, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this, this thing, for getting wrapped up in all of the, the stuff that's holding me down or you know, hunching me over. I forgive me. I give myself, I let myself off the hook, so to speak, uh, in that respect. How important is this concept, and in, I know it's more than just a concept, of forgiveness? And self-forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. So there's a great woman uh, at the University of Texas in Austin named Christian Neff. We just had her give a talk here on Zoom the other day. And she wrote a great book called Self-Compassion. So what is self-compassion? She says, first of all, recognize and acknowledge your own imperfection. We're all imperfect. Um, if you're blaming yourself for something, um, acknowledge it. And, um, and then in a lot of ways, 
um, the best way to sort of get beyond that um, self-flagellation is to help others. Uh, there's something about just doing something to help someone locally, uh, uh, just to make a difference in someone else's life. It gets the mind off the self, the problems of the self, and also that tendency that we have to blame so heavily that one individual back, you know, a year or two or 10 years ago, who just somehow ruined our lives. We have to realize that we had a participation in that. Uh, we, we were not simply standing by unwittingly that we might have handled things a little differently. But self-compassion is unbelievably important. And, self, and that's really what self-forgiveness is, 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 is linked with. Uh, uh, it's, it's not just the forgiveness of others, but the forgiveness of self. Now, forgiveness of self, I think, is harder than forgiving others. And that is where uh, Christianity is quite interesting because as Hannah Arendt wrote, you know, uh, Christianity is the religion of forgiveness. There's a lot of forgiveness in Christianity and, and the atonement, I'll go back to that, is the way in which when we can't forgive ourselves, we know that we are forgiven. Mm. So ultimately forgiveness is a very profound uh, idea that's especially important for everybody, but it's something that I hope people can see as a value in, in basic Christianity. Hmm. You know, you have on your website something very interesting, and we're going to wrap up with this, the Golden Rule Flourishing 10 Ways of Giving. And you talk about uh, the fact that everyone uh, wants a simple and uh, workable philosophy of everyday life that will lead to flourishing. And you present one in your best-selling book entitled Why Good Things Happen to Good People. And uh, first of all, you want to take care of yourself. And the second of all, you want to love your neighbor in the same way. And these golden rules, I'm just going to go down them real quickly. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Loyalty is love made visible. That's number one. Two, celebrate. A celebration is love made visible. Helping is love made visible. Forgiveness, which you just talked about, is love made visible, as well as care. And this is carefrontation. Yeah, is carefrontation. Carefrontation. That's a new word, ladies and gentlemen. I think Coined that's with M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, who was a friend of mine. Uh, Oh, wonderful. I have letters with, with Scotty about the word carefrontation as better than confrontation. Oh, absolutely. It keeps you connected. Another great word in number six is mirth. We talked a little bit about that. Is love made visible? Respect. Attentive listening. Compassion. And creativity. Boy, you wrap all of those together. Each of these ways of love benefits others. But as a side effect, it also benefits the giver. And one of the true uh, um, um, laws of the universe, as I like to call them, uh, Stephen, is that if there is going to be a giver, there must be a receiver and vice versa. You, you need, we all need to learn how to receive as well as give uh, from, a, a, from a selfless, humili hu uh, uh, um, humble perspective. And um, the other thing, you know, you, number one was loyalty. And loyalty and respect go hand in hand. And it's, it, to me, 
uh, I am I am loyal to people, uh, not for any other reason than they're fellow human beings, and if I can help, I will. But if if Obviously, if there's behavior, what have you, that is detrimental to my well-being, I'm going to say, you know, you need to step back. You know, we, we need to put some distance between us for a while and so forth. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't respect you. It just means that uh, until you can understand that that's not going to work for me, that kind of behavior, uh, until you can understand that, then we just need to, we need to go our separate ways for a while. And that's kind of how friends come in and out of our lives, too. But sometimes it's just circumstance where they're going off to college on the East Coast and you're going to the West or jobs or I mean, this happens with siblings. But, you know, I still talk with my kids, my, my kids, my uh, uh, brother and sisters as well. And they're they're all most in Phoenix. My brother's here in California. So we're still fairly close. But it just seems to me that all of this stuff together, not only uh, it benefits us. Uh, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I could use the word karma. I mean, we were talking about the Dalai Lama and his philosophy, but it also is. Uh, uh, um, uh, quite honestly, it's even Einstein. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But it doesn't necessarily happen the way we think, and that's one of the other things too. Is expectation gets in the way, doesn't it? Expectation of the way we think things should go. Oh yeah. So we did a paper on widows and widowers who had been happily married for a long time. And it turned out that the ones who were just in the community or in their faith communities, uh, in their volunteer groups, just helping others, they got through grief and bereavement faster and in a more lasting way. So I got a call from the New York Society of Widows and Widowers. There is such a thing. They were having a meeting in Manhattan. This is, you know, seven or eight years ago. And they said, would you come give a talk? So I gave a talk and I talked about all these internal benefits and they're not reciprocal benefits. It's not like, you know, tit for tat reciprocity. It's just the internal benefit in difficult times when you're dealing with loss or disappointment of helping others. It just brings you into that giver's glow, as I like to call it. The name of my next book is The Giver's Glow. And uh, so this guy in the back of the room, it's the, it's, it's the Marriott Hotel in the middle of Manhattan. He's frantically waving his hands, and I, as it's Q&A, and I look at him, I say, yes, sir. And he says, hey, I don't care what you say, buddy. I don't do nothing for nothing. <laughs> so his thinking that, you know, he's, he does, he's not going to be a sucker, even if I could convince him that just being generously helpful to others and, and trusting that somehow this will benefit the universe even you may not be aware of it. I call it the dandelion effect. Like when you blow a dandelion, you don't know where that oh, stuff's yeah. going to land, mm -hmm. you know, but just be free. Don't calculate. And, and this is your best way of finding uh, resilience and happiness. Even if I could have convinced him of that scientifically, which I think I was doing, he was going to say, wait a minute, you know, I don't do nothing for nothing. So at that point, you know, I wasn't sure what to say, but until he changed his thinking, it was going to be a tough road. I had a boss who uh, lived by the law of diminishing returns. Uh, to those who don't know what that is, it's don't put out any more than you expect to get back. 
And I just couldn't buy into that. Uh, we had a client who came in, a programmer, and he bought uh, a 15-minute block of time. We sold broker uh, a block programming back then. And then he brought in, about two weeks after he started, he brought in this box of uh, five-inch reels. And he wanted to, he wanted to uh, 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 convert these into the programs that he wanted to do. Uh, and I said, sure, no problem. And, of course, uh, we were having some technical issues with the, the with the tape itself. It hadn't been stored properly, so it was kind of dry. The oil had, had kind of evaporated. So I had to come up with a way of oiling this tape so that it didn't squeak when it went through the guides on the reel-to-reel. Anyway, I went through the whole process. I managed to produce up all of these programs into the lengths that he wanted. And two weeks after I had finished, he canceled his program. And my boss wasn't real happy with that, not, not so much with me, but just with what happened, because we'd done all this work for this guy. And my thought after, the, after he said that, and I don't think I ever shared this with him, but I share this now, and that is, yeah, maybe so. Maybe we did all this work for him, and he cancels after two weeks for whatever reasons. It could not have been anything we did because we went out of our way for him. So he left knowing that that radio station and its personnel cared about him and what he wanted to do. Whether he comes back or not, odds are he's going to make comments about this radio station and its personnel that could maybe benefit us down the road. But at least he left feeling good, you know, and and. I, I, you know, so I have never been able to live by that philosophy, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually very glad that I didn't. Yeah, you don't want to be limited by that kind of calculation. It's nice, you know. I, I, I wrote when I wrote uh, why good things happen to good people. A, a woman wrote a review in the L.A. Times, and she says, "So does he think that helping others and being kind to others is like going to the gym, like going to Vic Tanny's?" <laughs> I don't, I don't think they exist anymore. But anyway, that's like, you know, uh, L.A. fitness. Yeah. And 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 um, actually, I don't. I, because it, to me, the, the benefits that you might uh, receive um, externally, they're a byproduct. They're not something that you're depending on. Yeah. Uh, they're a side effect. Um, if, if people are grateful fantastic um and and they should be grateful but if they're not don't let it worry you don't be calculating and even the internal benefits you know the science is really good we did this national survey uh people who volunteer a lot uh you know they feel healthier they feel more able to deal with loss and disappointment they have deeper friendships um um and so forth etc but it's not a hundred percent you know it's it's maybe eighty percent 90%, 70%. So it's the majority of people, but not everybody has that experience every time. So uh, it's not foolproof, but as a general rule, it's good to be good. It's good to be kind. And science says it's so. Yeah. And it's interesting how I've seen over the years in my brief existence here on this planet, uh, how those kinds of um, I want to call them spiritual traits, okay, are over the course of time, they are sort of acknowledged. I don't want to say supported, but they are sort of affirmed by science. 
And that's why I have a real difficult time with people who poo-poo science. It's not science. I'm sorry to put it this way, Stephen, but science is not an exact science. Okay. And it is evolving because we are constantly learning new things and new minds come into play and they take those concepts and they say, well, yeah, but what if you thought about it this way or this way or this way or what have you? And we come up with new and amazing, not only inventions and technologies, but even ways of thinking. I mean, I've, I've had guests on this program who have challenged my philosophy, my particular perspective on a point we're talking about. And I remember one where I responded to them and I said, well, there goes another one of my straw huts up in flames. And I will be more than happy to set all of them aflame and build new ones that are better constructed uh, and less flammable that will stand more stand the test of time. And, of course, that's a metaphor for my beliefs, my philosophies, what I hold near and dear, my values, my mores, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, you know, and so I thank you. I want to thank you so much for sharing so much of your time with us here on Tell Me Your Story, Stephen Post, uh, author of God and Love on Route 80. And I'm guaranteeing there's somebody out there who's going to ask, and you may have addressed this already and they missed it, where is Route 80? Route 80 begins at the George Washington Bridge in New York, heading west. And then you can pick up Route 80 east right in downtown San Francisco, um, because it goes actually over the uh, Bay Bridge. And so it's one of the four highways that connects East Coast to West Coast. And uh, it's Route 80 because when I was a boy, uh, I hitchhiked across the country after abducting my father's gray Mercedes 190. That's a long story we'll go into. But, uh, but that's how it begins. So Route 80 has always been uh, symbolic for me of uh, a journey, a spiritual journey and breaking free and being open to new possibilities. What a great idea, great story, great book, uh, God and Love on Route 80. Stephen Post has been my guest. And Stephen, I have three final questions for you as we wrap up our program here. Again, I thank you so much for giving us so much time. And we're going to have you back when your next book comes out. And the title of that is? Uh, the next title is, is actually, it's coming out with Johns Hopkins, and it's a popular book. It'll be out in the summer. It is called Dignity for Deeply Forgetful People, How Caregivers Can Meet the Challenges of Alzheimer's Disease. I love it. Uh, and it's the book of my life. Absolutely. And I love it and uh, love having you on the program. And before we ask you the three final questions that I ask all of my guests, I remind our listeners that uh, Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World comes your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, and other locations that you are also posting our interviews to. We're also on YouTube, Richard Dugan, and Tell Me Your Story. Just look for the guy with the hat. And uh, we also encourage you to participate in the decade of 2020, uh, the decade of perfect vision. 
uh, to spend that time going within. Intuition is a very valuable part of our lives, and we need to uh, we need that is a that, the most valuable tool in your toolbox, if you will. Uh, don't uh, don't neglect it uh, and uh, uh, continue to use it. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. All right. The three questions that I ask my guests as we wrap up our time together here on this program are, number one, who is Stephen G. Post? A traveler open to surprises. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Through the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, which I founded with Sir John Templeton, we study love, not just human love, but the love that made humans. So I believe uh, in the beauty of that dream. I'm loyal to Sir John. He was a noble man. And, uh, and I hope to continue to increase our understanding scientifically and spiritually of other regarding love, but also of the love of self. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is in every encounter to leave people feeling that they were treated with kindness and that the burdens that everyone carries are a little easier to handle. Stephen Post, I thank you so much for joining us. I encourage people to go to your website, stephengpost.com, and uh, find out more about the work that you're doing, as well as keep on, keep on track with uh, the books that you have out, and we encourage people to go to stephengpost.com. We will be linked to your website as well, and uh, we will be posting these uh, interviews, both the audio and the video, to the respective websites so people can continue and listen in. And again, we thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Richard. It is such a delight. And hello, Santa Barbara. And we look forward to having you here and back in Santa Barbara. Maybe we'll be able to do a sit down here very soon. That would be great. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for joining us for Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol. <laughs>